It's Time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's Time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I am your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Hello, friends. Danny Steinmeier, along with my pal Jim Berg, with you here again. The sun is shining. The azaleas are in bloom. The meadowlarks are larking, and the green grass is perfectly cut on another bright spring day, a tradition unlike any other. It's time for truth. Jim, I, I, I was channeling my inner Jim Nance there. The Masters uh, golf tournament is, is over now, but uh, I just was thinking as I was preparing for this, that sappy uh, master's golf tournament voice of Jim uh, Jim Nance, I thought was a, a, a little fun way to open up uh, our conversation today. <laughs> it is a beautiful day, and I, I'm glad to be in studio with you. And uh, we want to welcome all of our listeners today. Thanks again for making us part of your day. And Jim, it's a humbling feeling to know the extent of who is actually listening to us, because we just have the raw numbers of how many people are listening. But who and where and when is just an amazing thing to think about, how we truly we don't know the extent of our audience. And so just a quick shout out to Scott. That's Mark's dad uh, who listens in California. So hello to Mark's parents. So uh, just a quick shout out to the reality that there's there's folks uh, at different times and all over the place that get a chance to listen to us. So it's a pretty neat thing. Well, Jim, how are you today? Yeah, doing really good. And you know, that's a good point, Danny. We do this for our congregation. We always talk about this podcast is to our church family, but it is an open platform. So there are other people listening and if you've got questions, please send those in, and we want to be careful and cautious, but we're really talking to our congregation. Hope you get value out of it, everybody else. If you've got questions or clarity around that, we're having dialogue during the week as well. So uh, if you've got questions on that, please ask us. And Danny, you brought up Jim Nance and the Masters, and there's always controversy and conspiracy around that. We lived in Georgia for seven years, and some people, you know, the azaleas always bloom at tournament time. It's amazing. Always bloom. So there's a couple conspiracies around that. The first one, it's called the ice theory, that the groundskeepers actually pack ice around it and delay the launch of that until it's the perfect time. So that's one of the conspiracies around that. And then the other one is that they actually have piping underneath them, like they do the grounds for controlling moisture, and that they actually pre-launch these things at the right time. Oh, that's and interesting. I, I live there. I can't think of a time that they haven't bloomed perfectly. So they're either really, really good groundskeepers or they're good groundskeepers and they've got methods for doing it. <laughs> that's funny. It's really cool. Well, and spring is sort of late around here. Things are a little bit behind, I think. But uh, uh, it's it's uh, great to see the sunshine today. We had some, uh, some snow, some sleet and some frost uh, last night, but uh, looking forward to a little warm up and hopefully spring gets uh, its motor running around here. Yeah. And I'm super excited about today's podcast. I, we've got two topics, but the first one really gets our motor running. And uh, For sure. so I'm super excited to get into this and talk about it. I think it's, it's really critical. And uh, you know, for me lately, I unplugged from social media because of all the, the noise that's out there. So occasionally you should unplug and just get yourself rested. And it was coincidental with starting a study on holy fear of God. And I think that plays into this this podcast is this idea of God being holy, 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 
came out of our study of the attributes last season in our Wednesday night family Bible studies. And then the fear part is how you apply that. So how do I approach a holy God? And it's really been a fun study for me. I've been posting things and really enjoying the depth of God's word. Oh, it's, it's been really good. And you're right. This is a really important topic for us today. And, and, and it's really associated, especially with our uh, discussion last week on Sola Gratia. And so as we begin today, we want to uh, start off with a discussion of, uh, we like to start off with a discussion of contemporary issues or news items that we want to highlight. But today that we did want to begin with talking about something that is a good follow-up after that episode last week. Because it, and it comes from social media. It was a post from actually an old friend of mine from seminary who has actually developed a pretty big podcast platform. Uh, he has two podcasts, and both of them are, are growing. The, the flagship one, uh, the main one, is called Theocast, and uh, the other is called The Kingsman. And I first saw a clip that the host, uh, John Moffat, he shared on Facebook, and it is a very uh, typical—it's typical of everything I see from him online, and it is indicative of the very opposite— of what he sees as the problem with evangelicalism and what I see. I, I think we're on two different um, uh, paths in terms of what we see as the issues uh, facing us today. And so since we see things very differently, uh, I think it's really important that we should talk about it because it's relevant to last week's episode on Sola Gratia, We Are Saved by Grace Alone, and my sermon series also that's going on at the same time on, on the law of God. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to play the clip that Jim and I first interacted with and, and then know that we listened to the whole podcast episode. So our aim is not to take him out of context. You can do that easily with a clip. But let's start off with an opening that—it um, starts off with an opening that's actually very, barely audible, and I'll, I'll identify what he says here. He says, our works mean more— than you can imagine. So you might have a hard time hearing that first opening line because it's of the way the clip is. Uh, but then he says, but it has nothing to do with our relationship with God. And so let me go ahead and play this clip for us. And it's, uh, it's about 39 seconds, and uh, we'll interact with that a little bit more. Our works matter more than you can imagine, but it has nothing to do with your relationship with God. You cannot earn more of God's love. You cannot earn more of God's favor. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because he loved us, he laid down his life. At your worst moment of who you were, that's when Jesus demonstrated his love for you. It wasn't when you repented. It wasn't when you came to the realization of who you were. It's when you were his enemy, God says, okay, I will now lay my life down for you. I will now give you what you do not deserve. All right. So again, the, the clip is starting off. Our works mean more than you can imagine. But then he says, but it has nothing to do with your relationship with God. So Jim, uh, my problem with this line on its own is that he is speaking of our relationship with God in its totality. Uh, he is a, this, He's a careful guy. And he says this intentionally. Yeah, and I, so he's he's careful, but he's carefully wrong. Correct is, is the way that I put it. So he starts out okay. You know, our works mean more than we know, and that's absolutely a truth. But then he tanks hard. You know, he says we can't earn more of God's love, which I believe is a truth. But he says we can't earn more of God's favor, and that's where he's got it wrong. So 
that's where I think he's we're off. Conflating a few things here. So exactly. Last week we talked about our salvation is by grace alone, apart from our works. But what part of our salva- what part of our salvation are we talking about? And we must be careful also. And, and so we note that our salvation in, is in terms of our justification. Uh, it is not of works, but of of God's grace alone. We do not cooperate in our justification. But we also talked last week about the importance, and and Jim, Jim, what you were very keen to pick up on that right away was to recognize that you can you can really um, take that in the wrong direction, and that's what's most common today. And, and that our understanding is not against or separated entirely from works. We're talking about the difference between the foundation and source of our salvation, that it is by grace alone. But the product of grace, that what which flows from our justification, is the good works that God has prepared for us as we are, we talked about last time, being saved. That's our, that's our sanctification. And that part of our salvation, our sanctification, is also by God's grace working in us by the Holy Spirit. But our works have everything to do with our relationship to God in sanctification. Ephesians 2.10, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so the problem with what um, Moffat is saying is that our works have nothing to do with our relationship with God, as if our relationship with God is only about justification. And and, and that would be... um, this is a, just a major problem with trying to speak about a rich biblical concept with a dumbed-down buzzword like relationship. Because he summarized the entirety of our life in Christ on this side of heaven as a relationship that has nothing to do with our works. And so, my friends, this is a man who has gone after other Orthodox brothers for teaching heresy. But I'm going to say to John Moffat, right back at you, this is false teaching. This is the error of partialism, where he has taken part of the thing and he has made it the whole of the thing. Okay, yeah. and and I'll be specific. So again, he you can't earn God's favor, is what he said. Well, that's just not true. Joseph, Genesis thirty nine. Joseph found favor and was put in charge of the house. And then, how do we find favor with God? Proverbs three one through three. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years and life and peace, they will be with added to you. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then it says, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God. So important that we understand this. So what is our part? Keep his commandments. It tells us that. Kindness and truth, let it be in us. That's part of our responsibility Bind them on our neck, write them on our hearts. These are all things that we're participating in. We're actively participating in our sanctification. And so many churches don't get this right, Danny. I think it starts out with lordship, and then sanctification is the next big piece of this that I believe the church today is missing. So, well, I, you're right. And I think that's it's just a, a real cursory reading of the scripture proves him to be false immediately. And And we could do a whole episode on the God's normal, ordinary means of sanctification. That is, there is tons of material out there on what that looks like and what it means. Obviously, we've got God's good works. There's blessings in that. And then there's eternity. We have works that go towards our relationship in eternity. And, and, And to be clear, John Moffat is not against the idea of good works. 
that's but he's he's coloring it specifically in terms of how we relate to God. And we'll get into that a little bit more because we also listen to the longer podcast that he clipped from. So we're not taking that clip out of context. Right. First of all, he clipped it himself. So this is what he put out there. This was a, a nugget that he put out there for himself. So if, if anything's out of context, then that's going to be on him. However, we, we did want to listen to the full podcast and get a full flavor to make sure we understand where he's coming from. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I just want to help us even by way of illustration. Um, my children are born into my family and they're born into my family apart from any works they have done. Children are not born into families by their own effort. They're simply born and they breathe and, and they are given a name. And their relationship with me is established by virtue of being born to me, not on anything good in them. That picture of birth is the same for our salvation in that we are born again, not by the will of the flesh, but by the work of the Spirit of God. Now, my children who are born to me, we continue to have, this is important, an ongoing relationship, okay? So the first part of understanding, of course, their, their establishment of our relationship, being born into my family, is has nothing to do with works. They are forever attached to me by name. They will always have my love for them, and there is nothing that they can do to add more of that loving commitment of sacrificial service to them. However, to say that their works have nothing to do with my relationship with them is an absolutely terrible overstatement, and it's an obvious lie. Because in fact, their attitudes, their obedience, their even love for God, their respect, their speech, their actions, our relationship, you could say, is centered on their behavior. And so listen, it is the same with God. We could go on for days and days, but I want to speak about this biblically, and I'll highlight another quote from the longer podcast that doubles down on his error. And so when Moffat described here, uh, what he described here is classical, uh, I would say, antinomianism, even though, again, he'll deny the charge because he will say that there is a, um, that of course, good works are involved. He'll tr he tries to wiggle out of it, and, but he fails. And I'll start by going back to the beginning. God created Adam apart from any work in Adam. And after breathing into the man a living soul, God gave Adam several, what? Instructions, commands, dare I say, laws, which do not amount to legalism, but to Adam's joy and blessing. God gave him law. God gave him things to do for his joy and his blessing. And so he told Adam he could eat from everything except the one tree in the middle of the garden. And he also told the couple to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, and to take dominion over the created order. This was how Adam was to relate to his creator. Adam was to keep and he was to cultivate the garden that was given to man by grace and followed up by God with a command to get to work. Adam was made to work and he was made to do good work. Uh, work, good works, are not the basis for life with God, but they are what God wants for an ongoing relationship with him. It's just the opposite of what um, Mr. Moffat was talking about. Let's talk about Israel for a minute. We're now in a sinful world, and Israel is in bondage in Egypt, picturing also our bondage and our slavery to sin. And so God sees and he hears their cries, and he comes to save them on the basis of a prior covenant to the people of Israel themselves and through their father Abraham. They had nothing to do with by their effort. And to 
identify what he was talking about in this particular clip, uh, while Abraham was a sinner, right, while he was an idolater, uh, God saved him, God chose him, God covenanted with him, and even that covenant was uh, a... a um, a unconditional covenant. So God had chosen to love them as sinful and rebellious people, and he delivered them from the most powerful nation on the face of the earth with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so Israel, Israel did not fight. And I, when we preached through this, I talked about the reality that Israel just simply went and did door-to-door, -door, uh, not really evangelism, but door-to-door -door salesmanship saying, hey, uh, we're here and we'd like for you to give us uh, all of your gold and your uh, changes of clothes and those things like that. And the people of Egypt, God moved their hearts and voluntarily gave them a bunch of stuff. They plundered the Egyptians, but they did so without a fight. And, and so they contributed nothing really to their rescue from Egypt. They simply followed Moses, who was a picture of Christ, by the way, and they walked out of Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea on dry ground without getting wet, without being harmed by their pursuers. And it was totally and completely nothing that they did for themselves. God saved them by grace apart from works. But then God tells a redeemed people in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, Now then, if you, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." And so these are, these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. And so Yahweh placed the condition of obeying God's voice and keeping his covenant upon them. That is, God made their works, their obedience, their behavior, their doing justice as a condition for whether it would go well for them in a relationship with God. God saved Israel and then gave them his law. And so the law came after salvation and was given to a redeemed people. Israel was to relate to their Savior by obeying him. And guys, this, isn't, this really isn't hard. And this is what makes this error, I think, so um, frustrating and disappointing, because we ought to know better. Uh, furthermore, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, and it's everywhere, guys, so uh, we could go a million places. Hebrews 12, 6 notes that God disciplines sons whom he loves. Why do you discipline someone, Jim? Listen, this is this is craziness. <laughs> like, so the visual that I can give you today is the law without enforcement is Chicago. Look at the riots that are happening in Chicago. Look at these, these young men running around and looting and rioting, or Portland, or San Francisco, or... California, the law without enforcement is insanity. It's it's, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. And so what a idea, wonderful relationship, Jim. Yeah, the idea that we have it, that we have grace and we have the law, but that we wouldn't participate in obedience to that and the consequences of actions that are against that is is ludicrous. I don't understand the reading of the Bible that way. That is don't we we actually want God to relate to us in relationship to our works and the correcting of our works. That's exactly. The, that's the whole point is, is because we love God, we actually want to grow in that love of him. Right. I mean, it's insanity. Because works have something to do with our relationship with God. And so when you take that word relationship, and if he means by that justification, we could be fine. The problem is he's, he's using relationship intentionally because he doesn't just mean justification. Right. That's the problem. So because of, of God's love... Uh, which we did not earn, 
He disciplines our bad works, our disobedience, as he sanctifies us by his grace into the good works that correspond to Christ's. And so if Moffat was going to be accurate, because I do think he was being clear, just as Jim pointed out earlier, just wrong, but if he is going to be accurate, all he would have to say, and all he would have to do is use the biblical terminology, all he would have to say was that our works have nothing to do with our justification or our regeneration. We can all say amen to that. There is no issue. Then he could go on to talk about how you can't do good in order to make God love you more, or to talk about how Christ died for us while we were disobedient sinners. You can do that. that there's no issue with that. The problem is he's, he's, he's using this word relationship to mean way more than justification. But lest you think that we took his clip or his meaning out of context, uh, in the longer form of the whole podcast, Moffat says this at about the 1945 mark, um, that it is important, and it's important that we conduct ourselves uh, properly here, that the, and just note that this clip came from an episode called, What is the Point of Obedience? And so it, when he's trying to clarify his view of obedience, uh, he ends up messing up the whole thing, and that's what's so disappointing. And so he isn't denying, though, that there is a role to play for good works in the life of a Christian. Uh, and, and clearly he highlighted things like not being mean, uh, not being a uh, poor witness in terms of how uh, we present ourselves publicly and arrogantly and so forth. He, he talks about uh, to not live fleshly lives. He's, he doesn't deny that the scripture calls that. And he was doing some work through uh, Peter's writings, but he says, uh, quote, I think it is important how we conduct ourselves, not for the sake of our relationship with God, okay? It's important how we conduct ourselves, not for the sake of our relationship with God, but our relationship with other people. Yeah, and again, Danny, this is where I, I think it goes completely wrong. I mean, this is the idea of being people-pleasing instead of God-pleasing. Like, our sanctification process is for people not to God or for God. And that's just out of balance. That's upside that's, down. Yeah, that's out of balance, upside down and wrong. And, you know, we have back to this holy fear concept. It is lordship first and then fear and sanctification for him. I mean, he's going to do the growth, but we have to participate. And I'm not going to do that for other people. If, if we're in the ministry in order to do that for other people, which we want God to do through the teaching and through his works and even through us, but if we were to do that for other people, we would be sorely disappointed. So well, the problem is, is once again, that there's a partial truth here, right? Uh, that the that people, the world, will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. There's a there's a truth to that. But he takes a partial truth and he speaks of it as if it is the whole thing. And he says again, truly, that our works, the testimony of our lives, has an impact on the lost and the world around us meaning that God uses our works and our behavior as a means of grace to the world we are evangelizing. That's true. Our good works are to be seen by others and thereby glorify our Father who is in heaven. But he denies that our works affect our relationship with God. And if, if he means relationship is justification, we can be on board. He's using relationship instead of justification or the founding, grounding of our uh, birth in, in Christ, our new birth, uh, that would be one thing. But he's using relationship to speak of the totality of how we now as believers 
relate to God, and that's where he's doing that on purpose. So once again, uh, I want to go to the Old Testament. So then we have to answer questions like, why did God exile Judah and Israel from the land? Why did Israel's enemies prevail against them? It was because Israel's deeds were evil. Let's go to the New Testament, the book of Revelation. And for the sake of time, we'll just consider the first of the seven churches, okay? The church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. Jesus says to the church, I know your deeds, your works, not that, um, not that they have anything to do with me. That's not what it says. He didn't say that. Jesus is talking, right? Jesus is talking. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I know your deeds and I know your works. First of all, we have to note that Jesus is paying attention to the works of the churches. And he noticed their good deeds, and they are commended for them, but they have a problem. They had lost their first love. How do you recover your first love? Verse 5, Revelation 2, 5. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first, or else... I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. There is a relationship risk that the church at Ephesus had with the risen and ascended Christ. Their love, represented by deeds that they did at first, needed to be recovered through repentance of wrong deeds. And furthermore, what was at risk from all these churches? All these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, the concern is that they would lose their lampstand. They would lose a crown. Later in chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Speaks to our effort, speaks to the things that we care about, uh, about being urgent and engaged in repentance. Repentance from what? Repentance from, see, for, for Moffat, it's repentance of doing good things to be pleasing to God, rather than just, quote unquote, this is their, their tagline, rest in Christ, because you're just supposed to rest. The good works will just happen as, by way of osmosis, apparently, Look, and, we, yeah, we and you're doing it to be man-pleasers. This is this yeah. is this is why I wanted to talk about this, Jim, because right. this is this is upside down and twisted. Even in glorification, even this back to when when we get to eternity and we're in the presence of God, it, it tells us in First Corinthians three, it says, "And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. A reward for what? In eternity. So our sanctification, our walk with God, being obedient and faithful." leads to our place in eternity. It does. It means we relate to God in terms of reward and loss. Right. It, 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 at the end, in our glorification, when, when we look at the deeds that we have done in the body, okay? So brothers and sisters, our works, our deeds, our ongoing repentance and faith has everything to do with our relationship with Christ. It's a matter of whether we live under his blessing or under his discipline. It is all on the basis of his unmerited love for us, but our relationship with God is all about works. 
Colossians 1.10 calls us to walk, which is meaning to live in such a way, through our deeds, our actions, our works, do so in a worthy manner of the Lord to please him in all respects. Isn't, wouldn't be pleasing Wait a minute, shouldn't some... we please people? <laughs> Apparently we're to please him in all respects, which is the flowing of our Christian life. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so for, for Moffat, unfortunately, our good works only relate to our witness to others, not to our relationship with God. And so if he denies that that is what it means, then what he needs to do is to stop talking about justification, uh, or excuse me, sanctification as relationship. Right. Call it what it is in biblical terms. Relationship would look at the whole thing. Justification starts our new relationship with God, our regeneration, it's new birth. It's our birthday into the family of God, and our birthday has nothing to do with our works. But our relationship with God, having been born into his family, extends beyond our birthday, beyond our justification. And the problem with Moffat is in a discussion of the whole role of obedience. He can't bring himself to talk about relating to God by our good works and effort, because for him, that means you're trying to earn God's love or increase his love um, it, he's just creating a straw man. It's really a false category as if that's what people are trying to do. I'm trying to earn God's love as a child. That's just that's just bonkers. Yeah, and the opposite is true. We want to be in God's favor, that's which right. is biblical. And so we're, we're not doing it because of the works. We're doing it because we desire to please God. And I don't use that word desire a lot because I don't like that emotional side. But the reality is, is that's my purpose. That's why I want to please God. Now that I have God in me and the Holy Spirit, when I sin, I feel bad. Like that is part of it. And so doing good is part of participating in God's plan. And going back to that idea of God disciplining us, um, the ones that he loves, in that passage in, he in Hebrews, um, and actually that's quoting Proverbs chapter 3, the, the, the whole point there is actually, it's a remarkable one because the, we're being taught the lesson that you know how it is with your children as a father. You know that your children are, are not earning your love for them. Um, and so just like you love your children and you discipline their behavior, so too does God. It's a remarkable thing that, that, that we're to learn about God by the reality of how we, it is we relate to each other. So just like I used the illustration of the family earlier, how uh, my children are not born in my family by their works, but we relate to each other through obedience, disobedience, through respect, through honor, all those types of things. And so uh, this isn't difficult, uh, but he has taken um, our obedience to God as loving service and gratitude to God that relates to our blessing or discipline, and he has simply turned it into looking good for the sake of other people. And that's a real dangerous thing, Jim, because that, that's what leads to a lot of the problems in evangelicalism today, which is the desire to be liked. The desire to be accepted and respected by the world, because because everybody is so concerned about our quote unquote witness. Right. We we want our our works and our and our posture and our tone is to be something that the world looks at and and really likes, as opposed to the primary emphasis is is God pleased with us? Are we are we pleasing Him in every respect? 
Yeah, and my Catholicism is going to come out because when you're trying to please people, you are now works-based. You are trying to do things of the world, which are all works-based. So instead of pleasing God, you're actually becoming works-based and you're looking for things to please the world. And there's no end to pleasing them. It's impossible. It's a terrible grounding for the idea of good works. And so sometimes we bring you some resources that we think are good and helpful. Sometimes, like today... Uh, Theocast and Kingsman are resources that we would recommend that you beware of and even stay away from. Uh, they are largely a a one-subject group, and they are popular. They're getting a big following, but this is not an isolated situation. I followed uh, these guys. Again, I I've have a, a connection here. I followed them for several years. This is the entirety of what they are about. This is the center of all of their discussions. And so Consider this to be a negative review and warning about the false teaching that is promoted here. I think this is a dangerous way to approach Christianity, and uh, we again, we certainly see the issues uh, differently and really in an opposite direction. The, the problem primarily with the church is not that we are so focused on our good works. The problem is, is, that, is that we have uh, a low view of sanctification. We have a tendency towards antinomianism, a, a, a rejection of the goodness and the value of God's law and his instructions, which is all over the scripture. And instead, it's this um, uh, a hands-off approach to our sanctification because God's just going to work it in you. Of course, there's good things for you to do, but it's for people so that they will look at us well and, have, and we would have a good represent, representation and a good reputation for Christ's sake. Uh, it, it, it's backwards in terms of our worship to God is our obedience and our and our 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 works of love and gratitude to Him. They matter for how we we are blessed or disciplined. Well, Jim, that was a lot. Uh, that was a lot to our introduction here. Uh, this subject is something that we are both, of course, passionate about, which I'm grateful for, and, and that leads us to just a brief discussion of our um, of our distinctives as we've been continuing to do this series, and we're coming to the fourth of the um, solas of the Reformation, and that is solus Christus. And again, this is a Latin phrase that points to the reality that Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. And we have to remember that the Reformers, they were fighting for the recovery of this truth. These were all, when we're talking about these solas, we're talking about what developed out of the Reformation, and, and we're pointing to the things that they were bringing corrective elements to. It's because there was things that were lost in their day. And so for many of us on this side of the Reformation, we can be shocked that someone would point to anyone else besides Christ as our only Savior. However, the problem with the Roman Catholic Church is the belief that salvation is in Christ and the Church. The sacramental system of the church was combined with looking to Christ, but also to Mary, and to the priesthood, and to the saints. And so again, the Roman system is a man-centered salvation treadmill, not a work of Christ on behalf of the sinner apart from works. And so we want to just look at one passage for now uh, that points to the exclusivity of Christ. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so each of these descriptions have the definite article, the. Jesus is pointing to himself as he tells the disciples, 
how to get to where Jesus is going. That's the context. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be leaving. And they're like, uh, how do we get to you? We don't know the way. Uh, and, and Jesus says, he had said previously, he's going to his father's house. And, and the way to the father, the way to God, where Jesus is, is through Jesus. That is because he is the exclusive Savior. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life that gets you to the Father. And, and that is important. And this is the problem with the Roman system. Because addition to Christ is subtraction from him. You see that? I think it's so important. When you add to Christ, you actually lose him. Yeah, and it's more than that. You've, you've heard me talk about this. Because of the works based, it becomes... So if it's, if it's nine to Christ and one to the work, within five years, it's going to be one to Christ and nine to the works. And so it is a slow deterioration towards complete works based right so but 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 even in that there is uh that one is is you 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 lose it all the whole thing you lose it all right Uh, and so well when you add to christ anything other than him then you lose the significance of him and his work because the the beauty of christ is his exclusivity and it is his sufficiency we'll get to that in a minute also so it's subtraction through addition if you add works to Christ, you lose Christ. If you add another authority to Christ, you lose Christ. And again, we are talking about our the basis of our relationship with him. We're talking about what it means to be saved by way of our justification of being made right with God. And so if you add another person to Christ, you lose Christ. Because Jesus is claiming exclusive quality of how one is brought safely to God. And so John 14, 6, it also points to the sufficiency of Christ. He's the exclusive Savior, but he's exclusive because he's also all-sufficient. He is all you need. And that becomes the offense, right? If all you need is Christ, but I'm going to add to him anyway. That's where the problem lies. He, his work was enough and was fully satisfying to God. So... If God was satisfied with Christ, then why would you need to add anything else to him? And that was a big problem that the Reformers identified. The church had built a system of religion around Christ that destroyed the sufficiency of the work of Christ, and therefore it added the requirement of participating in the whole system in order to appropriate salvation. And when you do that, Jim, you're saying Christ is not enough. You need these other things. Oh, and you're going against scripture. So I love first Timothy two, five, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Exclusive insufficient. Nothing else required. Okay. So Jesus said that nobody comes to the father, but through him. And so Jesus Christ is the exclusive and he is the sufficient savior. And so that is the offense of the gospel really, isn't it? The exclusive exclusivity and sufficiency of Christ is what makes secularists, pluralists, cults, atheists, uh, false religions, that, that's what makes them so upset. That, that's the thing that they cannot stand. The supremacy of Christ over all is what makes the world hostile to Christianity. And so Jesus is Lord, and everyone and everything is beneath him. That's a, 
if that's not true, it is a very exclusive, uh, excuse me, uh, offensive statement, right? Uh, the gospel message is simple and it's clear, and that's what it offends. Salvation is found by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Every other path of so-called salvation is false and serves only to damn you. You must have Christ alone or you forfeit him altogether. It's, it's Christ or nothing. If it's Christ and something, then it's nothing. He has no rival. He has no competitor. It is Christ alone for our salvation. And so just a, a wonderful, beautiful recovery of uh, that biblical understanding and teaching of the exclusivity and sufficiency of Christ recovered by the Reformers from the grips of corruption and false teaching, once again, from the Roman Catholic Church. And a recovery of pure biblical doctrine is what we are celebrating and what we say is a distinctive of our church. Distinctive not meaning we're the only ones who have it, uh, that, that no one else cares about it like we do. No, it's just saying that as a distinctive part of our ministry, we care about, we love these things, and, and these are not something on the back burner. These are something we want to place out front because this speaks to the fullness of the true and saving gospel. Well, we want to thank you uh, for joining us today. Uh, There's a lot of, of information and a lot of passion <laughs> that we shared for you with you today. And so, uh, th but that's all the time we have for truth today. And so we want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and your commitment to Christ and his church as we are sanctified in the truth. God's word is truth. <laughs>